Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Wednesday, August 19th. Apple's market cap is up to $2 trillion, New York City rents are down, and we're focused on the return to campus 2020. Last night, the University of Notre Dame suspended in-person classes just eight days after they began. This came hours after Michigan State University told its undergrads to stay home and one day after UNC Chapel Hill reversed course on its own reopening. So back to college 2020 is proving to be the disaster that many skeptics thought it would be with COVID clusters breaking out more than keg parties or maybe because of keg parties. But not every school is throwing in the towel. Delaware State University, a public historically black college, began welcoming its students back this week after working for months on an innovative and comprehensive plan that includes regular testing, contact tracing, and even an entire dorm reserved for quarantining students. Delaware State University is doing this through a partnership with a new organization called Testing for America. And the school believes that bringing its student body back on campus is essential for their well-being, given how many of them live in low-income households where family members never stopped going to work in essential jobs and the racial disparities of health outcomes tied to COVID-19. In short, the risks of not going back to Delaware State University for many students may be higher than the risks of returning. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Delaware State University President Tony Allen. But first this. We're joined now by Tony Allen, president of Delaware State University. So Tony, let's start here. Obviously, earlier in the week, UNC reversed course on their plans. Last night, Notre Dame reversed course. The folks who run those schools were pretty confident in their plans going in. Is there anything you've learned in the past couple days or lessons you take from their experiences? Those schools and those leaders, I'm sure, were very thoughtful in their plans. And as the conditions on the ground changed, I'm assuming they responded in kind. The difference, I think, with our plan is a couple of things. One, we started really developing it right in the springtime. And two, had the benefit of engaging with Testing for America fairly early in that process. They are developing our full testing protocol. And we started actually that testing protocol in early July. So we've had a little bit of experience, not fully, but we've had a little bit of experience building that capacity. We actually started bringing our students back residence hall by residence hall just this past Monday. So we're being thoughtful about it. And, you know, our plan is robust and comprehensive. So it goes from testing protocol for the entire university community to a virtual learning environment and to all the things we know work, contact tracing, isolation, wearing masks, all those things. So we feel pretty good about where we are, but I can certainly understand as conditions on the ground change in those universities that they made different decisions. Can I ask about the Testing for America partnership? I think I'm correct in saying this, that you're going to be getting having your students and staff tested on a weekly basis. How confident are you that Testing for America is going to be able to not only process those tests, but do so in a short period of time? I think they've said between 24 and 36 hours, which is far faster than the national averages right now. Yeah, it's been averaging about 30 hours for us. Just as a point of fact, I've been tested three times personally through the technology. I'm very, very confident in it. And I can say, and I'm sure you know this, but Dr. Blythe Adamson, who was a part of their scientific council, actually developed the NBA bubble. So we feel great about reliability. We feel great about response time. And 
to your point earlier, we feel great about the trends and the trends will dictate what we do throughout the semester. And Testing for America is helping us determine those protocols. I know you guys partnered very early with Testing for America, but if the testing can be ramped up in that way in your community, is there a reason why other schools aren't able to quickly sign on UNC, Notre Dame, or any schools? I obviously, I can't talk about our sister institutions in that regard, but I can tell you that they came to us for some very specific reasons, really around the population serve. As you know, we're a historically black college and university. Many of our students come from our vulnerable communities. Testing for America made it very clear that working with an HBCU was a top priority for them. They then developed a couple of relationships with Thurgood Marshall College Fund, which is an association of historically black colleges and UNCF, which is the private side of those HBCUs. So their efforts have really been focused in our communities. That helps us because as you know, as a practical matter at Delaware State, about 50% of our students are otherwise low income and about two thirds are first generation college students. So their ability to get to the finish line is critically important to us. And we wanted to make it safe and a seamless transition for them to do so. Let me ask about that safety piece. And as you said, you do have a, at times, vulnerable population, particularly back home where they live in their actual homes. Do you believe that when it comes to COVID specifically, that your students in general are going to be safer on campus with you than they would have been not on campus? I wouldn't make that determination. But what I would tell you is, as you know, racial disparities cut across a lot of systemic functions here in America. Health disparities is one of those things. And COVID has certainly struck the communities of color disproportionately. So what we believe is bringing them back to an environment they're familiar with and putting the right safety protocols in place will do two things. Not to your point, obviously keep them safe, but also make sure that we don't disrupt the academic continuity that will ensure them getting to the finish line. Dan, what I can tell you is when we uh, went virtual in the spring, we actually kept about 200 students on campus. One of the reasons we did that was because about half of them were otherwise homeless. And the other half were, to your point, from some very vulnerable communities. So we wanted to make sure that they were safe and we're getting the services they need. The one thing about HBCUs, it's not just about the education. It's about the wraparound services. So think about the health care, the food, the housing itself. All those things are critically important to making sure that they get across the finish line. When you talk about getting across the finish line, and you've talked about this, while you're bringing the students back to campus and into dorms and they get access to all those services, the learning is going to still be virtual. So can you explain that to me a little bit? If the feeling is that you have protocols in place, that you have testing, that you have contact tracing, et cetera, that lets them live on campus, socialize on campus, eat on campus, why can't they sit in a physical classroom with a professor on campus? Well, you got to remember our uh, faculty and staff population. We're also trying to keep them safe as well. A significant percentage of them are older, so would be more susceptible to COVID-19. It worked well to make sure that we had them in a virtual environment in the spring. So we wanted to keep that. Purely from an educational standpoint, do you think the education that your students are able to receive virtually is as good as it would be if they were able to receive it physically in person? Actually, I think this particular pandemic, oddly enough, has taught us some things about the type of education we receive. Good quick example. Two years ago, we did a deal with Apple. We wanted to put an iPad or a MacBook Pro based on discipline in every incoming freshman's hands. And we declared then that we wanted to go digital by 2020. Now, nobody ever thought <laughs> that we would be in this particular situation at the moment. 
But it did give us a head start and it's proven some things to us that if we put the right technology in our students' hands and the ways that they learn and make sure that our faculty have a sense of how to teach in that fashion, we believe the education can be equally as good in that environment. And we think that uh, this fall is going to prove that. You said when I asked the original question about Notre Dame and UNC and you said, you know, conditions on the ground have changed and you talked about how you guys will be using Testing for America to monitor the conditions on the ground at your school. Can you help me a little bit? What does that mean? In other words, is there a bright line for you that if a certain number of students or staff test positive or there's a percentage of community spread that you guys have to reconsider having people on campus? Let me put it to you this way. We are still going to be about 50% remote for faculty and staff. That's very important to me. If you don't have to be on campus and you can do your job remotely, we want you to do that from a faculty and staff perspective. For the students, we actually have a full residence hall that is specifically for quarantine and isolation. And I can tell you that if that residence hall fills up beyond our capacity, then obviously we would have to rethink our decision, but we reduced our student capacity to about 75% of its normal population. So we've already kind of de-densified the university campus. And with the uh, quarantine residence hall, we think we'll be in good shape throughout the semester. Tony Allen, president of Delaware State University. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a new study from the New York Federal Reserve, which finds that financial bubbles develop when amateurs begin to dominate a market. In short, professional traders are more sophisticated when it comes to things like accurately processing data. Not perfect, of course, but better. Why it matters is there has been a huge surge in amateur trading, particularly during the pandemic among Gen Z, driven by no-fee trading apps like Robinhood. So I asked Axios Markets editor Dion Rabowin if the Robinhood generation is really goosing stock prices or if they're just along for the ride. It's a little bit of both, and it's really hard to figure out exactly what's happening because you can't actually go in and get all the data for who's buying exactly what stocks. What we can see is that professionals have been largely on the sidelines. They're buying bonds, not stocks, and somehow still the stock market is rising. One of the hallmarks of the New York Fed study is that once these retail or amateur traders get involved, asset bubbles tend to form, and that's what you're seeing. And we have seen a record number of retail traders, amateur, you know, Robinhood traders, if you will, move into the market over the course of the year. But there's no real way to tell exactly who's driving and who's the passenger. We're also planning to watch night three of the Democratic National Convention tonight, when speakers are expected to begin talking more about policy than about personality. Now, we're not expecting any big earthquake announcements, but it would be good to hear more specifics about what a Biden administration would like to accomplish beyond just replacing Donald Trump. And finally, what I won't be watching is pro football from the stands this September. Because I live in Massachusetts and our governor has said that the New England Patriots cannot have fans at Gillette Stadium. So when Cam Newton throws his first touchdown pass, I'll just have to cheer from my couch. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national soft serve ice cream day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.